1: and our wonderful editor, Julia W.D. Harrison. Lynn Ponton and I, Jennifer Wong, are the executive producers.
0: I'm Lynn Ponton of Let's Talk About Sex with Lynn and Jen, inviting you to listen to a podcast, Unmask, two therapists talking about psychological issues during the time of COVID. Please join us on in-depth conversations about COVID issues during this very challenging time. Thanks for tuning in. Hello, this is Lynn of uh, Lynn and Jen on uh, Let's Talk About Sex with Lynn and Jen. And we're in the middle of the COVID epidemic, but uh, today we're going to be focusing on more of a gender considered area, which is really the situation in Afghanistan. And currently uh, we're just a few days into the American evacuation from Afghanistan. Uh, This brings up uh, a lot of issues. I think for the entire world, we're all watching through the media, these very traumatic images. And many of us have strong concerns about uh, the Afghan women and their situation. So we're going to talk partly this morning about uh, responses to this, what we can do, where we could donate, where we could take action, and then some about uh, a book that I've been reading this week by an Afghan woman. So with that introduction, how are you doing, Jed?
1: I'm doing okay. I mean, hanging in there as much as we can in, in this current situation and, you know, w- paying attention to what is going on in Afghanistan. So I'm looking forward to our conversation today.
0: Well, to start out
1: and say a little
0: bit about the book that we're going to talk about, um, in the middle of, or earlier in this month, I started reading a book called Dancing in the Mosque by Homera Kaderi, who is a a doctor of literature and an Afghan woman. And uh, I love stories about strength and women who fight back and resist and really struggle for women's rights. And her story uh, is very uh, detailed in this book, and it reads beautifully. So I really encourage people if they have a chance to take a look at it. But she grew up in Herat, which is a city in the western part of Afghanistan. And uh, she was able to attend school until she was uh, about 13 years of age. When she was 13, the Taliban came in for about a five-year period, and that was in the late 90s. And uh, her father, who was a teacher, buried their books outside in the yard. Um, it's a really sad situation. I see you shaking your head, no. Jen. And, you know, that for those of us who love learning, just the thought that sh- this would happen. He finally dug up the books. She read them and taught herself alone in the basement. And then came up with the idea with her mother's help to really start a school four other children. And she first started a school for herself and her female classmates who now were no longer going to school. And the boys were going to school, but they were mostly learning the uh, her brother's report, the Koran, over and over again, and no other subjects. And then she started uh, another school for Afghan uh, refugee children from all parts of Afghanistan and uh, in a tent and that's where the title came from. The tent that she taught the school in was also a mosque. And in that tent, the children uh, came, the refugee children and the children from the town to learn. Um, she taught them and uh, some of the times the children tried to dance in the school. So the title Dancing in the Mosque is really, I think a title about how you can't keep children down And they'll do childlike things, even when it's disallowed. What was really informative about the book was that the young Afghan Taliban boys started to gather at the door of the tent. They realized that learning was going on. They were 18, 19 and 20. And they asked her if she would be willing to teach them how to read, how to write, so they could write letters home to their parents about their situations. And the whole book is incredibly moving about the narrative, really the story of an Afghan woman and how she became a storyteller and the stories of her people. And it's not, you know, really, uh, it, you learn so much from it because she's not negative or hateful to the Taliban. But it's really about the difficulties that women, children and men really face in Afghanistan. So it was just written a few years ago. It involves a sad personal story because uh, she had to leave Afghanistan. So she's been out a couple of years, but that allows her work to really continue and go on. Before she left, she was suffering a great deal with further restrictions that were still coming in, even with American support of the government. But again, the book is Dancing in the Moss by Dr. Homera Kaderi. And I think uh during this period when we're trying to understand what's going on, everybody would really benefit from reading it.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm definitely going to check out that book. I mean, I I had not heard of it until you mentioned it. I I can or I do want to share though, like when you shared about the title, what I love about the title is that, you know. Dancing is is one of the ways that we express our emotions and I think as you mentioned it is often like a childlike kind of joy that's like bursting forth from from people and so I think that image is really really beautiful that even in the midst of something as horrible as what is going on you can still find those moments and then when I think of a mosque I think of place of worship but not in that like religious dogmatic way but just in sort of honoring you know what is important what moves the spirit and i think the fact that she is educating and and sharing teaching within this kind of sacred space is really beautiful and so i have not read the book yet i love that summary but that is definitely what came to mind for me when i think about this title is just the importance of education the importance of being able to have moments of joy, even in the midst of very horrible happenings. I
0: so much agree with what you said, Jen, and, and that's how I felt reading it. It was really learning about how to preserve the good things and make them continue when the situations are nearly impossible. And the way she was able to connect with the boys in the Taliban, too, that an education and stories, you know, provide a way to connect. And in taking away the education for boys and girls, because they take it away for boys, too, in Afghanistan, they just give them a dogma, really, to imbibe. It's just very different. You rob them of this experience, really.
1: Not just, not just experience. I mean, it is experience, but what came to mind as you were speaking is it, it really robs people of their humanity. You know, I, I think that what you just said in terms of, you know, the perspective that she has taken, this isn't a book full of hate. This is a book realistically looking at what is going on, but through this lens of compassion and through this lens of humanity. And I think if more, of us can stay in this space as we think about what we can do to to support from whatever space we are in. I think remembering that humanity in everybody is very important
0: This is some of the the feeling that we are all human that I've tried to carry this week, and we we're talking as a group a little bit earlier uh, with uh, uh, my colleague Valerie here too about uh, issues really related to America and how we're responding to this situation of humanity. Really, a humanitarian crisis yes. is really a crisis of humanity is unfolding in front of us. And really, how do we respond to this? I think people are angry with our our government's response to this. Um, partly, you and I shared that it's the focus on getting the Americans out, saving them, as if that's the perfect solution to this, and uh, discarding all the rest of this. And you read this woman's stories, and you realize we are connected to the children in Afghanistan, the women there, really the whole world is connected with this.
1: Yeah, and and Valerie introduced us to a great term for that kind of focus on on the American extraction. And The term was American exceptionalism. This idea that you know we need to focus on the Americans because there's something special about the American people, And, and it's not that Americans aren't special, but that we're we're all humans. This is a humanitarian crisis, not like an American extraction crisis, you know. And I think that's so important because it's so embedded in a lot of just the American mentality that we're taught from a very young age. And you bring up
0: the idea that all humans are special. You know, that's really the point. It's not just that we're special. All humans are special. And so watching this really tragic situation unfold in Afghanistan is is hard for everyone really all over the world to see it. Um, so that, you know, that, but that idea of American exceptionalism really discards the fact that all these people count, all these children count, all these women count, you know, and it's easy to, I think, when you see the images of thousands of people trying to get to the airport to say, well, they don't count, they're not in the right group, but all those people really count, and that's part of this
1: tragedy. Mm -hmm. Very much so. I I think another part of the tragedy is, is seeing that this isn't like a new pattern, right? Like when when you look, we talked a little bit earlier about when you, when you look at uh new power moving in, especially one that is based on rigid structures of, you know, uh rules for different genders or just different groups and also this very like power over structure that we've talked about a lot in terms of this podcast and just that theme of power over versus power sharing, right? And and one of the biggest things you'll notice if you look into history is one of the aspects that is immediately targeted by people in power is the access to education. And it, it actually really struck me again, just as you were talking about this woman's story, like how much of a privilege I myself have had in terms of education, right? I grew up in a family where there was definitely pressure to be educated, but it's such a different idea to, it really never ever crossed my mind that I would not go to college, let alone like be able to attend school. And so I think just remembering like how valuable education is and that it's, it's always immediately targeted because I think education is one of the, mechanisms in which people recognize their agency and recognize the way things are connected. And it it teaches people to question the norm. And it is a source of power. And so the people who come in and are wanting to power over will always target education.
0: And we hear about this. We hear this week about the schools being closed for women And the women teachers struggling to leave and being hidden in their houses with their daughters. And, you know, one of the concerns that Dr. Homero wrote about was really that the young girls were married off at ages like 13, 14, 15, 16 to members of the Taliban. And their education was entirely stopped, really, at that point. And to do that to children You want to take away the education so that they don't fight back and they don't really resist with that. I think the other thing we see besides education being targeted, Jen, is targeting women's rights. Yeah. Because women will fight for children. We fight for the oppressed. (laughs) We, you know, we can identify often, I think, as a group more easily with children. And, you know, so we do understand that. And women's rights are dramatically targeted, you know, in what we're seeing. That brings up a second kind of thing for our listeners is there is an organization uh, that's still open called Women for Afghan Women. And that was the one I thought that really summarized it the best way. And uh, it really has a strong presence of the Afghan women. The sites are still open because the online sites that I looked at for donating money, helping people who are really struggling in the middle of this crisis are gone. Many of them, the journalist site has not been updated. They're falling. And I think to think where we could offer help, and there are many ways we can do it, but Women for Afghan Women has a donation point on their site. And I think it's a a very reputable agency to donate to.
1: Great. Yeah, I know that you definitely vetted that. And so it's an important resource to share. I appreciate you sharing that with our listeners. Also, you were just mentioning about journalism. And I think that, you know, that falls under education, but it's sort of a different manifestation of it. And I think recognizing the importance of journalism and how Journalism and the credibility of journalists, and whether they're telling real stories, and you know, all of that immediately gets targeted as well as soon as a power that wants to take over and control comes in. And that again is repeated over and over in history as well. The organizations
0: that are left in Kabul and throughout the country now, many of the people there, you know, there are thousands upon thousands of people left, Europeans. Westerners, Americans still there. And they're involved in these areas we're talking about, education and journalism. And you can see it. You know, we always see, I think, in the middle of an Amer- humanitarian crisis, we see the journalists on the ground really fighting it out at the very end to provide education information for the world and I admire them greatly, this struggle. And, you know, they so much, they are dedicated to really sharing these stories and they want to shut them down. That's really clear. And I think we're going to see that in the next weeks and it's going to be frightening for people. Mm-hmm.
1: I mean I, I think along the lines of journalism and storytelling, you know one of the things that I had brought up, and it turns out it's in the book as well is what can we do? What do people do when they are in these situations where you know there is this huge power control going on? what is it that people can do to to keep things alive, to keep hope alive, to keep dancing, as the book suggests and I, I think that Like, I just thought about this now, which is why I paused. But like, I I think that like, for example, literally with dancing, you know, dancing is a way that we storytell as well. And so I, I think that with things like song, with things like dances, with things like stories and myths, in a lot of the different groups culturally that have been targeted, you see that they have their own culture of storytelling, they have their personal myths, they have their group dances, they have the group songs, and that a lot of it is in groups. You can do it as individuals, but I think it's also really important to remember the power of community, because that is one reason I think also that women's rights are so targeted, is because they want to break apart those chains or not chains they want to break apart the connections that that keep people together and and that you know create a strong foundation and so they want to cut those ties and they want people to feel isolated and like there's nothing they can do so they might as well go along and i think that's a really important thing to pay attention to is that these means of expressing yourself, these become your voice, right? There is no, there isn't always opportunity for a written record. Although obviously in the case of this book, there is, and that's wonderful. But sometimes all you have to carry your story is your voice. And so it's very important that in the midst of all of it, you remember that you always have your voice.
0: Those, I think that's very important. I really agree with you, Jen. And this woman author really struggled to have her voice and I think we all do and I think women especially to first to find our voice and then to be able to use our voice in Mm -hmm. the world is really really important and how to support other women uh, to do this that all women you know should have this opportunity to Mm -hmm. find their voice and then to use their voice. I really liked what you and I talked about earlier from part of coming myself from part Native American background, you know, the idea that storytelling really is a way to connect with others and to preserve the culture and to resist stories are fighting back and mm-hmm. our, our personal stories as we write them. You know, I read Dr. Kadari's book and really helped me to understand what's going on now, but to think of ways to fight for the rights really, of women like Dr. Kaderi.
1: And this just to, came to mind right now as well, but it's not just the um, collecting of them. It actually is processing as well, right? Like when we tell our stories, when we dance, when we sing, we are moving through these emotions because one of the things we talked about is trauma and obviously PTSD and, and all of that. And and I you know, this is a little scattered, because like I said, it just came to my mind. But like, so not only are you sort of preserving the story and and the richness and the details of, of everything that is happening, but it is that emotional processing that allows us to get in touch with what we're talking about, the compassion and the humanity, right? Because all of us as people, we all have the same emotions from which we can experience our life. And I think That is what really touches us. When we talk about something touching us, it's about remembering that humanity, remembering those emotions, recognizing like, oh, okay, even if on the outside, we're different, even though if, you know, we're like in different locations, like, that is what connects us. I think that is very
0: powerful. Those connections are very strong. With the caution, I think that this week, this month, we need to alert everybody to the dangers of really these traumatic images and these traumatic stories that we're hearing. We have to listen, you know, and be open to this trauma too. This is a traumatic moment, this type Mm -hmm. of crisis also try to save ourselves so that we don't become too overwhelmed really with the trauma, you know, and I I think it's a balance Mm -hmm. between connecting and hearing those stories. And these are sad, sad, tragic stories. And at the same time, you know, trying to protect ourselves so that we can go forward and help in this.
1: Yeah, it's, it's definitely about that balance. And I I think it's always about that balance, right? (laughs) Like, how do we make sure we're okay, so that we can use our voice to to amplify the voice of other people. And I, I think, it is important to recognize that this is a trauma, like you said, because I don't think everybody recognizes that just constantly, like, absorbing these images and things is very jarring to our sense of self and our sense of safety. And so remembering your agency, I think, is is a great way to to help you keep from from getting kind of trapped in it. But, I mean... It it is interesting. One of the things that has happened is I've got some phone calls or email reach outs from people who are veterans or in the military and talking about, you know, like, even though this is not the same thing, it's activating a lot of their trauma, too. And there are many people
0: who are suffering in this way. And so many men and women, you know, served in Afghanistan and did humanitarian work there. Yeah. So watching this, I think, is really, really very hard for them. I think it's also very hard for women and children, yes. you know, to watch what's going on, you know, and to listen to some of the, the, the cries that you hear, you know, the verbal messages, we're locked in our home, you know, we're being tortured, these type of things is very, very traumatic. Mm-hmm. So I think just keeping that in mind, we know that this is going on but doing what we can to really protect ourselves and other people with this.
1: And one of the things that you mentioned that I know is a source of strength for many, but also, you know, for for us is you mentioned the speech that Hillary Clinton gave in 98. Would you be willing to talk a little bit about that? Well,
0: I was hoping, uh, you know, I was greatly, uh, I was not able to be in Beijing when she read the first time the rights of women, but uh, my neighbor was, and uh, Deborah is a wonderful neighbor for 40 years and was right there and came back to America after leaving Beijing and held a, a meeting in San Francisco where a lot of women came. My own mother was there my neighbor, Deborah's mother was there. And it was a really was a group of lots of women. And she read these, you know, the rights of women. And it was very, very helpful, I think, to hear that. And uh, (laughs) Hillary went on to have a very different life after that. But just being able to articulate that there are rights of women, and the history of women has been a history of silence. So really, again, about Uh, opening up the voices of women is really the beginning of it. Um, I'll just mention a couple of them that I think relate to the women in Afghanistan. You know, she begins by saying it is a violation of human rights when children are denied food or drowned or suffocated just simply because they are born girls. So that refers to problems throughout the world. But this is also a factor in Afghanistan that if there was an attempt to have boy babies and another one of Dr. Kaderi's stories is the girl next door who was dressed as a boy really so that she could function and because the father needed a boy to go out in the world with him while the girls were in the house. So losing the status of being a girl and this neighbor wanted very much to be a girl, but she to save her family had to be a boy. So these are other stories. The second is a violation of human rights when girls are sold into slavery, prostitution, and marriage. You know, so that idea of girls being taken in this way is right up there. And uh, it's amazing just how many women suffer from this. It's a violation of human rights when, uh, They are placed into these marriages when women are doused with gasoline, set on fire, and burned to death. All of this is really tragic. This is a pattern in Afghanistan of women coming with dowries and experiencing this type of thing. Dr. Kaderi wrote about how her friends suicided as they were being moved into these marriages with the Taliban members. So you see, it's, uh, even reading it is traumatic. We're going to stop soon because it's a lot. Uh, then, uh, which is most relevant today, today's world, it's a violation of human rights when individual women are raped in their own towns, and when thousands of women are subjected to rape as a prize or tactic in war. And I think this is, you know, again, some of what everybody fears. I think talking about it that people would abuse women in this context is really very necessary, even though to women, it's incredibly upsetting. Yeah. So uh, I think thinking about the rights of, uh, uh, of women as described by Hillary Clinton, and this has been you know, used throughout the world, uh, but uh, what's most stands out for me Is again about education being taken away from women and violence being applied to women, and how women have to contend with violence every day, even if we don't live in 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 Kabul or Herat or uh, the other story, uh, the other cities in uh, Afghanistan. So uh, I think it's that helps me too, though, to know that Hillary read this, you know, before the women in the world. And then really gave us something to work toward, I think.
1: Yeah, it was an example of her using her voice and sharing stories and amplifying the voices of people whose voices have been taken from them.
0: Yeah. Well, maybe on that note, we stop for today, Jen. Thank you for talking about this. And again, if our readers are listed or interested, Dancing in the Mosque is the name of the book.
1: Yeah, we'll make sure to include a link so people can check it out for themselves. Thank you so much, Lynn. Take
0: care.